When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You will also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. listeners, it's Graham. This is The Big Interview, part two of my chat with Stuart Baxter. Stuart's life and his career have been defined by his wanderlust and need to keep reinventing himself in different cultures and countries. We're all over the place again, so to speak, with this episode, which ends with me asking him to pick his favourite five footballers from a life spent travelling the world as a top-level coach. Some of them you might know very well, some of them you won't, so take your seat as we set off on part two of our world tour of football with your pilot, the highly experienced, highly amusing, Stuart Baxter. Our sponsors are Bet365, and they said, what do you see as your greatest achievement as a manager? Now, you're going to answer that. You're going to tell us. But, you know, if we're listening to winning the title with Hiroshima in those situations, winning the title with AK Solna in the way that you did, and there are a host of other competing stories. But I've always felt since we first met that taking sporting triumph out of human disaster and blending in a gift to that society was my opinion of your greatest achievement from a distance. But if, if you know, our sponsors want to know what you consider as your greatest achievement, what, what would you say it is? Right, you're right, Graham. I mean, I've got on my, on my office wall, I've got a, a letter from the mayor of Kobe thanking me for helping him to rebuild the city. That's, so that, that I, as, as exactly as you say, I think that is the greatest achievement because 
That drained me of every ounce that I had. When it was done, I'm not joking, I, I walked from the bench onto the field and the players threw me up in the air. When I came down, I was like a rag doll. I literally was. It was like, we've done it and it's over. And I can now go home and sleep. It was, that's exactly how it felt. And so I agree with you. For me, as you say, nothing, nothing really can get near the, what we had to go through. I mean, again, it's that alignment, isn't it? You learn about yourself in those, in those situations. And, and when, you, when you get Michael Lowdrop, um, it, it's, it's a mixed experience. But I remember he was ultra-shocked um, that I knew about the, his dinner in a restaurant with the king. But if you take up the tale, how do you begin to persuade one of Europe's greatest ever players, not greatest modern players, genuinely one of the greatest players Europe's ever um, produced who's enjoyed the great life at Barcelona and has been part of the dream team and has won the European Cup in, in 92 at Wembley and then gone to Madrid and, and retained a good feeling at Barcelona, which is literally next to impossible. How do you begin to persuade him to, to come to, to disaster-torn Kobe? I knew of Michael as a person through other people in Denmark, because obviously I work in Sweden and Denmark, he's, he's a neighbour, and, and so Michael's qualities as a person were talked about, you know, that he's not a big-time Charlie, he's, he's a very family, very a, a serious family man, and so his father, Finn, would, was selling select the balls, he was the top man there, and, and so I'd got people that had spoken to him, and I'd heard that Michael had become a little bit disenchanted with the life of an absolute superstar. Couldn't go shopping with his missus. For example, simple things. So I went down that road. I said, look, you know, if you want, if you want a place where people respect your privacy, it's Japan. If you want to come to a place where you can affect a whole country, it's Japan. If you want a, if you want a project where you will be the, the leader then it's Japan. It's and uh, and I would love to work with you. As it grew, his wife Siv was as instrumental as Michael as 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 I was in persuading Michael, because I think they saw that this could be a fantastic time for us to. And what happened was that Michael came, and the game was so quick that the the players were moving so quick that Michael said, "I you know in the beginning." I just thought, no, I can't play here because they do things that they do. They do things off the top of their heads. But he realised that it was sharpening him. He was he was suddenly as sharp as he'd ever been. And in fact, he got back in the national team after coming to us. And then came to me and said, Stuart, look, I'm in such good nick. I've realised I want I want a little bit more. I want a bit more. And Morton Olsen at Ajax has said. He's interested in me to go back. And he went back to Ajax. I think he won two championships. So, you know, Japan Japan wasn't for Michael, uh, uh, in, in inverted commas, it wasn't a sort of a little bit of a, a sidestep. It was an important part in his, in his career. Not as big name as Juventus and, or as Lazio and Barcelona. No, of course not. But nonetheless... It was, uh, I think, if you ask Michael, I don't know because I've never asked him a straight question, but I would think that he would say that it was a very important, very meaningful part. It's funny how the ripples continue, Stuart, because 
Andres Iniesta grew up idolising Michael Laudrup. I'm literally idolising. We'll still talk about him at the drop of a hat. And where is he now? The ripples in the pond. Yeah, he's got a good contract there. And yeah, PK and Mikitani uh, uh, have said to him, go there. But he's taken his young girls, his wife. He's gone over to the city that you know so well. And, and undoubtedly, a massive influence for Andres Iniesta playing a Vissel Kobe right now is the fact that you once took Michael Laudrup there. It's 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 nuts. Fantastic. No, I mean, if you if there's a if there's a country in the world that there are the, those ripples, it's Japan. One of the one of the one of the, the greatest samurai was uh, Musashi Miyamoto, and he has the Book of Five Rings, and that is that is all about what we're talking about now. It's how you affect. What you say will echo out in the universe, you know, and they believe they believe in that, you know, that what the deeds that you do, you'll remember for them through time. When I take that call from uh, Rob Muir, which I think was after Deportivo La Coruña losing to Liverpool at home in the Champions League, and he's like, I'm not sure who to suggest, who would you suggest I suggest, and I put your name on the list, and you win the, the job by, by merit, by CV, by recommendations, by impressing them. But by putting your name in a frame, did I do you a good turn or a bad turn from there to now? And 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 what's it? But you haven't exclusively been in South Africa from two thousand and five to now. But you've spent, you know, if I'm not wrong, your mum's a geography teacher, and you've shown a, a repeated thirst to see the world and experiment and cultures. But South Africa in a number of years has been right up there as one of the, maybe the number one. So uh, rings and ripples. If you'd have asked me, if you'd asked me that question, Graham, after my first stint with Bafana Bafana, I wouldn't have been sure if I'd have said you did me a favour because it was so difficult. It was, it was always, I had the feeling that, this guy wasn't wanted there all the time, not, not just if we're lost. I thought I was in a good space to do it, but I wasn't. And so I felt when I left, I got unfinished business. So when I came back, I came back to a club, Kaiser Chiefs, and I won everything for three years. I won everything. I think we won two trophies one year, three trophies the next year, one trophy the, the played everywhere, smashed everybody. Won the, won the league by 12 points the one year and, and smashed everybody. And then people accepted me. So then when I left, I came back and I took a smaller club because I thought, no, I'm going to show them I can do it with any club. So I won <laughs> two trophies there. And then, of course, the national team said, no, you've got to come back. Because all the stuff that you wanted to do, you can get to do now. And that's when I, I rebuilt a team that would then qualify for the first time. They hadn't qualified for for 12 years. So we qualified, went to AFCON and did nicely at AFCON with a new team. And then I thought, that's me. Now, that's, that's it. I'm not gonna, they want me to keep going to Qatar, but I thought, no, I'm not going to be able to. And I don't want to start a new journey. And then after two years go, guys, you know what? I'm out because that would be doing them a disservice. So I thought it's it's nice. Let's shake hands, and they gave me a very nice send off, Safa, which which was nice. And and I feel like I've got a lot of friends there now. Which, if I hadn't gone back, 
I don't think I would have got. It's good to see hear about such enrichment during a life well spent because not everybody gets to to do the thing they're passionate about, and not everybody gets to has the tools to succeed and enrich themselves at the same time. We've got people called socios who are the members who've, who've been behind this podcast for the longest time. One of them is the guy you caught us. It's Derek Johnson, but spelt differently. Derek's asked an interesting question, really. He just simply says, he's a blue nose. So we Tommy McLean and um, the other DJ would be proud of him. Derek says, what would be Stuart's three non-negotiables with any squad, any squad he inherits in his role as coach manager, three non-negotiables. Well, the first one would be tactically, and that would be which, if we're talking about a building, which supporting walls in the house, you don't you you don't touch them. That that's me making that decision. That's not you. That's me. Now I would try and sell it to the squad, and I would get their buy-in. But once we've agreed, you don't you don't. Tactically, you don't change those principles. If you want to paint the wall blue there or you want to put a door there or a window, that's up to you. Express yourself. But that, so tactically, that would be the the first thing. Mentally, I don't accept anybody thinking he's better than everybody else because I I think you go down a very slippery slope if you even start that one. You know, well, you know, we accept it from him he, he got picked up by the police. He was out drinking. Well, he, he's going he's gonna to win me the game at the weekend, so I'll look the other way. I, I don't do that. I don't do that. I'm, I'm sorry, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't do that. And the last one would be, would be in, terms of, in terms of the team and the values. So the values of the team, the club, the, the, uh, the culture, I, I'm, I'm a stickler there. I'm a stickler that once we've agreed... And the culture is going to be like this. You don't. You don't get an easy an easy way out or a day off. No, you don't. That is that is every time we go on the training field. It's every time we go on the field. It's when you're walking down the street. It's when you're talking to the media. The culture of the club. You make sure that you're not going to shit on your teammates. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. A lot of people who've heard of you but not seen your coach will be one step ahead uh, now. We, we, we said that this would be about an hour and a bit. And okay, so we're coming to the last tiny section. Um, I need to take you to um, Langan's Brasserie in London, where I've had um, what I would admit was an extremely boozy and expensive lunch with George Graham and Ian McGarry and Terry Venables. Uh, a lot of alcohol has been had. Um, two of us, neither of which is George or Terry, heading to the Albert Hall to see the Teenage Cancer Trust gig with uh, Noel Gallagher. We arrive at the Albert Hall. One of us, Ian McGarry, suggests that pints of white wine might be in order. And we're just beginning our first pint of white wine each. And my phone goes, and it's you. As football managers are, are bound to do, you're carefully trying to garner a little bit more context for a phone call you've had from Carlos Queiroz that not for the first time Sir Alex Ferguson has decided that he's leaving and that Carlos Queiroz is going to take over. And I know, I'll never ever reveal who told me this, but I know that Carlos Queiroz was going to meet you, his Manchester United assistant coach. How did this, these events begin for you? Because it, it certainly won't have been over pints of white wine or or, or lunch at lunch. <laughs> 
lunch at lunch at Langens. I was I was quite close to Carlos because Carlos was the, obviously the South African manager, and then he left and and I met him and we and we spoke and then we got on very well and then I visited I visited Sir Alex and Jim Lawler at Man United Chief Scout yeah and Carl, and Carlos was there so. We had we had more and more times where we bumped into each other. We, we talked about the game. He watched my team play. Like he was also in Japan. Carlos was in Japan. He took over our sense uh, Grand Passate. So we had we had many opportunities to talk the talk the game. He watched my teams play. We had conversations. Yeah. So it just I I have a huge respect for Carlos, and uh, and I would like to think he has a. Modicum of respect for me as well, and obviously when he when he was talking about, you know, I think he, if I'm not speaking out of school, I think there had been conversations quite high up that says in the event of Sir Alex leaving, you will be first in line, Carlos. And I think that he thought that that may that may happen. I think either he had a conversation with Sir Alex or or whatever, but. He was disappointed in the finish, and so and so was I, by the way. But uh, yeah, he 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 intimated that to me. But no, this is something I know separately because I'm very close friends with Martin Ferguson. Martin's daughter was getting married in the summer after the the 2009 Champions League final, and and it, Alec, Uncle Alec, phone said I. I won't be at the wedding. I'm staying on. I, I, you know, and the pre-season will be then. But you were leaving, and 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 what's that? No, after t- losing that 2009 final was, as as it often is to great men, it was a spur to him saying, "I'm not stopping now. I am going on. This is not my sign off." Which anybody who's watched him, known him, or appreciated him would understand fully. And I I just think because about a year later, you and I spoke at length about the potential you having a role at Celtic which was definitely on the table very clearly on the table and they and amalgamating that even though you coached um, at the FA I wondered if particularly in the way that you phrased that about unfinished business with uh, with South Africa whether well, I wonder whether it's a slight stone in your shoe that all these achievements that you've been able to have via which your personality and your skills have triumphed I want to use the phrase against the odds because if you put yourself in a foreign culture, automatically you, you're pushing the boulder uphill. Now you've kept getting the boulder to the top of the hill, but it's going to be easier in your own culture and your own language. That's just a that's just a fact. To, to to what degree then is there a stone in your shoe that you haven't been able to apply these these learnings, your skills, your personality? In, in your own islands. Let, let me say this. It has been a bigger stone in my shoe. It has been. It, it still is, but in a way, I've, I've lived with it. Uh, the jobs that I've been offered or uh, been able to get, I've not really wanted because the jobs that I was in were, were in my opinion, as good they gave me other things about the, the culture, the sporting. Yeah, the the jobs that I really wanted, for some reason, the timing was wrong. One, I was talking to Wolves, and they came to South Africa. We were in the middle of a World Cup campaign, and they offered me the job, and I couldn't take it. And then that would have been a massive emotional ride for me because my father played for the Wolves, 
you know. So it would have been it would have, that would have been big, and I couldn't take it. And then uh, Celtic was the same. I mean, I've been I've been I've been involved with Celtic a couple of times. The last one was when Neil went in, and I was going to go in as in a, in a, a sort of a supporting role, uh, and the one before was going to be as coach, but the one before it it just didn't work out and then the one with Neil it didn't work out because it was released in the wrong sort of way and the Finnish, Finnish Football Association took the ump and the journalist there said I was going behind people's backs and and so the ones that I've wanted for for some reason I've not I've not been it's not followed through and the ones that I've been offered it's never felt right so and then Add to that the ones that you maybe think you've got a chance at. Probably I'm not the sexy foreign name that people want. You know, I've worked abroad, but I'm not. I'm not a Gianluca Vialli type of. Uh, you know, ooh, that could be interesting. The punters get excited, and I'm not either the one that's played 150 games in the Premier League. You know, so the punters don't get excited about that so I'm this I fall between two stools all the time so unless unless someone knows me like the Wolves did and uh, like Celtic did then uh, or like Arsene would recommend me to a close friend if they don't know me or Carlos knew me unless they don't know me then I haven't got that hook to get in and I've just got used to that Yes, we believe in biodiversity. It's from the makers of The Big Interview and it's called Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. Every episode takes a classic sports book or outstanding piece of sports writing and examines how the writer crafted their story. This is a weekly show and the series so far has featured documentaries on the miracle of Castel di Sangro and Andrea Perlo's autobiography, I Think, Therefore I Play. There's also interviews with writers like Henry Winter, Simon Cooper, Andy Mitten and David Goldblatt. Here's David Winner on his legendary, scintillating book, Brilliant Orange. The book chimed perfectly with what the Dutch did in, in Euro 2000. They played the book almost. Exactly as I described, they played and then they tragically, ridiculously, disastrously, unbearably lost in the, in the semi-final, this crazy game. And one of the big newspapers in Holland, the NRC Handelsblatt, had a big page, like a whole front page of their review section the day after the, the Italy game. And it was all, you know, David Winner predicted this. And then years later, I discovered that they had two versions. <laughs> the other one, if, if Holland had won that game, it said David Winner's got it completely wrong. He doesn't understand anything. <laughs> If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You've got an open, inquiring mind, but I don't think you're head over heels in love with some of the modern vogues. And you know that I have slightly different views, but the way in which teams defend now, and I don't mean back fours only, how they defend the concept of space, where you, how you play the ball, where you play the ball. You, you, I, I think you'd have ideas in common with Rafa Benitez about where the lines are squeezed, distance between players, attention to detail in terms of defending, where you do and don't try to be creative or thoughtful or or right brain, left brain. You you wouldn't currently, currently be in the vanguard of fashion, your ideas wouldn't. But you also know that the pendulum swings, always swings. So is this fair? No, I think it's fair. I think it's fair comment, very fair. I mean, I'm of the opinion that where we are at the moment is we're sort of worshipping we're worshipping possession and and the effects of having possession of inviting opponents onto us by building from deep and and how do we defend from that sort of position and and I think the emphasis is so much on building from the back that some of our attention to our defending is passed by a little bit now I just think that we've we've in any sort of harmonious strategy, you've got, to, you've got to be as detailed in your defending as you are in your attacking play. And, and I don't say that you have to be back heavy by just defending and then you've got no attacking play. Your strategies have got to be clear and understandable for the players, suit the supporters that are watching you, go, go with the heritage of the club and, and also suit your own, the coach's, personality. So, because otherwise, you're not going to make that vision live for the players. Now, I would prefer 
instead of playing counter-attacking, and this is this is a bit of a of a when I when I came back to the FA, this was sort of like, well, what do you mean? Well, rather than counter-attacking, because counter-attacking is like Japanese martial arts, it starts with a block, it starts with self-defense. Well, I would rather have gegenpressing pressing a la Jurgen Klopp, where you are provoking a transition. You know, that for me is a completely different spiritual, uh, emotional way of thinking that we're sitting waiting for you and then we will attack rather than we're going hunting for you. So just wait until we get, we're going to shuffle you into that area there and then it's smack and you're all already thinking attacking before you've even won the ball. So I would prefer that type of defending but not ruling out in certain games that you are going to sit there and invite them to come on to you and get your distances right and make sure that you, you, you do pay attention. But I would, I would just as much say, well, what about if someone does that to us? Well, I want to know my strategy for attacking them and pick my way through has to be just as detailed, has to be as, has to be as done with as much vigour and passion. So I think you've got to have that... You've got to have that holistic approach. And if you don't, if you don't, then you're only doing half the job. You've given us a brilliant afternoon, a brilliant interview. Um, you've had an extraordinary career so far. And in my view, you're still young and, and fit and, and urgent. There's probably one more big one coming. May it be in Goa? Fair enough, maybe in Goa. But we, we're we going to ask you to pick um, your, your your best five-a-side team. And because we've done in, in Blue Peter terms, <coughs> here's one I prepared earlier. I'm just going to remind you that there's a South African, a Dane, a Serb, a Korean, and the inevitable. I'm just going to say the inevitable in at number five. So if I if I say to you, um, who's your first pick? Who's the South African who's in your dream five? The one that has the the I thought he had the biggest possibility to be a, a real superstar was Spiwi Shabalala. Spiwi Shabalala scored the winning goal for South Africa against Mexico in their first World Cup match on home soil. And Shabba played for me. I mean, yeah, Shabba played for me. And I, I, I got a text from him last week, it, you know, and he was, he was talking about, he was saying some very, very nice things. So this is not, this is not payback time for him, by the way. But I, told, I always told Shabba that he should play in the States. You know, I mean, he could play in Spain or he could play in the... He could have played at his pump in the Premier League and because... But the States would have loved him. He was little, he was tricky, he, he had a bit of a bubbly personality. They would have loved him. He'd have been a superstar. Just for his skill on the ball and his left foot, he'd have been good anywhere. But Shabba was an outstanding player that should have played outside of South Africa, but... By the time he left, he was it was too it was too uh, too late for him. Shaba's number one, and I guess the guy who's number two, women all over the world, thought of as Mister Loverman. He's about six two, full head of hair, and he probably will have when he's a hundred. Um, as Mrs. Merton said, what first attracted you to the magnificent Dane Michael Loudrop? Uh, I mean, Michael. Michael's one of the few players. And I say this, one of the few players that when I've, when I've been training, I've been learning. Because it, you'd, you would say, like, this is what we're going to do. And, 
and Michael would do something and he'd go, can we do that as well, Gaffer? Yeah, you can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can, apparently. <laughs> you know, so it would be like that. So some, not all the time, but sometimes you just see him do something and try and you go, oh, you know, you'd, you'd step back. I mean, the one, the one I, remember, I remember him in the World Cup against Nigeria where he's looking that way and he just lifted the ball. He did that for us in a league game and he nearly brought the house down. You know, it was incredible. But Michael was one of those few people, and I always ask this question. I always ask this question about about the, some of the great players, like the Yari Lichtmanns, the Sammy Hippias, the, the people that are great players. I always ask them, who was the most important person in your career? And not many of them say a coach. And Michael was that. Michael, I said to him, Michael, you know what? You're playing in Japan now. You're still just a Danish amateur player that just wants to play football. And he was. And he was that when he was at Real Madrid as well. He was just someone that loved playing football. And when he went out there, he was like a big kid. He played and expressed himself. I said to him, I said, Michael Jordan said once, you see my picture in the newspaper, you see my soul on the field. That was Michael. When you were playing against Pep Guardiola and Arsene Wenger and... Whoever was, I don't know if Trapattoni was the Fiorentina manager. I think he might have been in that extraordinary Champions League group. You had a bit of, um, you, have, you had a bit of Novakovic for the soul. Um, tell us about your beautiful Serbian. Novakovic. He was, when I came to IK, he was 34. They wanted to get rid of him. And after the first training, he said to me, he says, Coach, don't get rid of me. You're the first real coach I've had. I said, stop smoking, do some stretches and listen to me and I'll see, what, I'll see how we go. He was magnificent. He was, he was brilliant. And the night before we played Barcelona, Barcelona had a goalkeeper called Hesp, who was about two and a half metres tall. He was huge. But I'd watched them and he lost his goal sometimes when people, when people were in shooting positions. He would advance thinking I'm so big you can't chip me. And I said to Nebosh, I said to Nebosh the night before, that it, were, it wasn't something that I told him three weeks before. As we were walking off the training field the night before, I just said, hey, by the way, if you're in a shooting position and you see Hesp losing his goals, go for a chip. He said, I'm going to score. He said, I'll chip him. He said, I will do. And I'm not joking. We played, we played a little one-two on the edge of the box. Nebo was running across the penalty area and reversed it, a dink, and it hit the underside of the crossbar and went in. And he ran across to the bench and he said, I told you, Gaffer. If <laughs> you're playing Barcelona and he's making a joke, you know. He was, he was an absolute... And both Arsene and Bora, uh, Arsene's assistant, both said to me, and they always said to me, you know, that Navakovic was a... He was a top-class player. He should have played somewhere else. And he used to say to me, he used to, when, I, when I had a go at him, he'd say, I don't smoke, I give up smoking, and I do stretching, and you're still complaining. <laughs> so, you know, he thought that was, that was the be-all and end-all, but no, he was a great player. Poor old Hesp, Rudy did fail. In fourth place in, in the top five, um, a South Korean that I don't know. No, Junyun. He was, when I was at San Fechi, and I told you we had to, we had to look for cheaper options, uh, our president was a, was a friend of the president of the Korean Football Association. 
uh, Paxan. So he he sent me to Korea to watch a game. Uh, two players that were recommended by this Mr. Pak. So I came over, went to Seoul. I'm stood on a pitch that's got no 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 stands or anything. It's just like a, a grass bank around the pitch. So I'm stood on this grass bank watching this miserable game and the two players that he's recommended are hopeless. And so behind, behind me on an all-weather pitch, there's another game going on. And I've just checked on my shoulder and it's a fierce tempo. And because the, the all-weather pitch is a bad surface, they are going through each other. Well, that attracted, that attracted the Scotsman in me. So I'm now, I've got my back towards the game here and I'm watching and there's one player playing that is like lightning, only he could handle the ball, running. And I've, I've gone, Paxan, what's this game? He said, oh, it's, it's uh, the Korean university team he's playing against uh, the Thailand university team. I said, is it the full? The full? Oh, he says, no, they're in the 20s. I said, the number 11 there, how old is he? Oh, he's 18. I said, can we get him across to Hiroshima? He said, Yes, why? I said, I'd like him to come across. He came across and he, he spent seven days with us. He was absolutely superb for the first five days. And every afternoon he would say to me, he would say, can I train with the, can I train with the reserves? Well, I want you to be fresh for tomorrow. No, I'll, I'll be fresh, don't worry. And he trained with the reserves. At the end of the week, I went down to watch the reserves training. The rest of them were hopeless. The rest of them were just... We played a very tight 4v4, which they couldn't deal with, really. I wasn't taking the session, so I was watching. The only one that could deal with it was no. So I've walked in, and I've walked in, and I've gone, guys, this is not good enough. No, the Korean lad, he took it like as, you're not good enough. He, st he started going through people. He was shooting. He was overhead kicks. He was... It was like it was the World Cup final. So I thought, hang on a second. This is a player. This is not only a good player, but this is a character. So I signed him on the spot. And I, I don't know how many, three years later or something, he was playing for Korea in the United States World Cup. And he was magnificent. He was, he was one of the best players I've, I've ever worked with. He was, he, was what, he was one of these explosive players that could run forever. I don't know. Physiologically, that doesn't make sense, really. But he could. He could go and go and go and go. And, I mean, the amount of full-speed sprints he would do in a game was incredible. I loved him. And he was a great kid. You confused me with the last guy we'll speak about because he comprises the fifth in your team. Because I thought I knew um, this, this fella. I'd seen him playing. I'd met him. I'd interviewed him. But to you, he was just Henke. Now, I know that now he's Henke to people that know him, but he was King of Kings or he was Henrik or he was Larsen. But to you, he was Henke. Henke was, uh, I mean, everybody in Sweden calls him Henke, Henke, Henke Larsen. He would, he would always be in, in the team because I think he was just, a, he was just an unbelievable competitor and a, a very talented footballer. So if you're going to have those other players in the team, I'd, I'd, want, I'd want one that was not going to accept the defeat. I, it was to the point where I'd worked with Hen, Henke for about, I think it was my first season. We'd won the cup. We won the cup with Helsinki. I came in mid-season. 
they were struggling a little bit. Hen- Henke had just come from Barcelona. We started improving, we improved, we improved. We finished fourth in the league. Uh, just missed Europe, but we won the cup, the Swedish Cup, so we qualified. And at the end of the year, they had this, I think it was called the Royal League, where all the Scandinavian top teams played off in a sort of a tournament. And we'd been drawn against, I think it was Vollerengen in Norway. So after the season in November, going up to Norway and playing in the snow, I don't think Henke was looking forward to that. So I got a call from my mate, Jim Lawler, in, in Man United. He says, that, he says the, gaffer's, the gaffer's having a... He says he's having one. He says, I can't find a striker for him. He says, Wayne's the only striker we've got fit. He says, Louis Sahar's down. And, and I, don't, I can't remember who the other one was there. Maybe it's uh, the Italian Macedo. Maybe, maybe it was him. And, and he says, they're all down. He says, we need a striker. I said, I could have one for you. He says, who? I said, Larson. He said, what? I said, Larson. He says, is he fit enough? I said, he's fit as a butcher's dog. I said, I've just been, I've just been with him on the car park. I said, if you... He says, the gaffer loves him. I says, let me... Go. I said, do you want me to ask him? He said, ask him. And while you're asking him, I'll ask the gaffer. So I goes out, I goes out and I says, Henke, do you want to go and play against Wolverhampton in the in the Champions League, or do you want to go on loan to Manchester United? <laughs> and he went, "What?" I said, "Serious?" He said, "You serious?" I says, "Yeah, I think I think so." He went, "Can I ask my missus?" Because Magdalena, she makes most of the big decisions, and that's with all due respect to to Henke because he's a, a great family man, but. Magdalena is very, 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 very smart. She wouldn't, she wouldn't let Henke make a bad move. He says, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come early tomorrow and uh, I'll let you know. Well, I knew it was going to be yes. So I go away and uh, Jim puts Sir Alex on. He says, Stuart, he says, are you serious? I said, yeah. I said, he will do it for you. I said, and I'll tell you what, he will grow, and the lads, your lads, will love playing with him. I said, "This will, this will turn him on. This will, this will be, this will be wiring him up." I said, "Don't worry." I said, "And he can, he can play." I said, "And he can still." I said, "I've had him as playing as a bit of a ten. I said, "And he still scored seventeen goals." I says, "But I've seen him linking that way. I've never seen him before." I said, "He's not just getting on the end of crosses and finishing." He went, "We'll do it," you know. So Henke come the day after. He said. He said, uh, we, Magdalena said, it's a good idea. So they came across. They, they came across to the Grand Hotel in Helsingborg. One night, they went down. Magdalena Henke went in. It was all done. And then I was in Dubai at the end of the season. And I'd just taken the family to see Circus Soleil. And I'm in a taxi going back to the hotel. And United were playing. It was Henke's first game. I think it was Aston Villa. So I'm listening and in Arabic, on the taxi's radio, I said, excuse me, I said, is that the Villa and uh, United game? Yes. I said, what's the score? 1-0 United. I turned to my missus, I said, Larson. I said, who scored the goal? He said, Mr. Larson. I said, thank you. It was great for me because I thought, well, Sir Alex, he's going, to be, he's going to be absolutely delighted. And he was. And he was, obviously. He said, Henke did really well and he was everything that I thought he would do. But, and he loved it. He loved it. Stuart is back over here now on the bench with Ronald Koeman 
and he's helping tutor um, Griezmann, who needs it, and Sufati, who needs it less, but is going to benefit as a 17-year-old kid being taught by the King of Kings. Um, listen, you know and I know that this could go on for an eternity because you've lived a rich, full life, but you're now nudging into Peter Beardsley territory, who did about half hour longer than you've done. My recording stick is about to give up, and I'm going to close by saying to you, Stuart Baxter, good friend of mine, if I was to speak in karate terms, martial art terms, about your life and how it's been spent, is it half ippon or full ippon? You know, when you're talking martial arts, when you're talking samurai, you've always got to be humble. So, in Japan, when they tell you you speak good Japanese, you say, madamada desu. I've got a long way to go. So, my answer to that, Graham, would be madamada desu. I've got a long way to go. Then when the journey is complete, we'll speak again. From one not very humble Scot to another humble-ish, half Japanese, half Swedish, half English. You can see why I never did maths, but geography is good for me. Stuart Baxter, um, in 105 big interviews, um, you're in there at the top with a bullet. Um, as good as I expected it to be, as enriching as I expected it to be, it's a joy to speak to you about football in your life. Thank you very much, man. My pleasure, Graham. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.